0: Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's all given to us by your spirit, working through men called and appointed by you to write it down. And that in it, we see Christ glorified as king, as prophet, uh, as priest. And this morning, as we again take up Leviticus, we are again reminded of his kingship. Over his people, that we are in covenant with him, and he gives laws, and we are as citizens of his kingdom, uh, under duty to obey them. Uh, And even though Leviticus dealt with a different era, a different time, the principle is the same. We are bound to the law of Christ, not only out of duty, but out of love for him, for what he's done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, we pray this morning that You would do what only You can do in our hearts as we approach this Word, that You would conform us to the image of Jesus. A little bit here, a little bit there, fighting from grace to grace against the remaining um, part of our flesh that would rebel against You. We don't want to be that way, and we pray that You would continue to... um, fulfill the promise that we have in Christ to be made like Him. And we know that one day when we see Him, we will be made like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And that's our great hope. And so as we continue to wrestle and struggle, uh, let our struggle be one to see Jesus clearly and love Him more. And it's to this end that we pray this morning in His name. Amen. Alright, we are in Leviticus chapter 7. We're starting in verse twenty-two, and today we're we're finishing up the priestly manual of sacrifices. Remember, Leviticus divided into several manuals. We we've, we've already handled the first one, the uh, chapters one through six eight, I think, uh, was uh, just an overview of the general uh, the general laws of the offerings. And then this morning uh, we're finishing up the second manual, which was specifically written to the priest, although it has a lot to do or application to the lay person it's dealt in the context of the priesthood. Um, Yahweh, in this section today, gives the details of what parts of the peace offerings He will get and what parts will go to the priest. Remember, in the offerings, we have the burnt offering and we talked about how they generally represented or generally pointed to our need for atonement. Uh, there's a general burnt offering, fully consumed, that uh, points to our basic sin nature and our need for approval before God. and He gives means to do that, a, 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 a provision to do that. Uh, the second one was the sanctification offering, the bread offering, where He's making His people holy. It, it, whatever situation is in, the bread represents that it, it's being made holy. And then the ultimate goal for every Hebrew was to get to the peace offering in right fellowship with God and right fellowship with the community and we saw that the peace offering is a meal. The uh, Part of the animal that's sacrificed goes to the Lord as a food offering. Part of the animal that's sacrificed goes to the priest. We're going to see some of that this morning. And then part of it goes to the offeror and his family. It's a meal. There's bread involved. There's meat involved. Um, and there's fellowship involved. It, it represents being in right standing with the king and being in right standing with the covenant people. And so we're going through the last part here in the priestly manual of the peace offering uh, laws. And it gets to this speci- more specificity on who gets what portion and, and, and that kind of thing. But before he even gets to those laws, there's this little short section of six verses in our translation that deal with ritual purity laws. And so let's, let's look at this. Uh, 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... "...speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from His people. Moreover... You shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person, that person shall be cut off from his people. All right, here we'll pick up for the rest of the minute. As early as Leviticus 3, we see that the fat of sacrificed on the altar may not be eaten. Do you remember why that is? Why is the fat? Fat, such a, it's, a, it's
1: a delicacy. It,
0: okay, it's a delicacy. And it's um, set aside
1: for it's the, the choice. choice. It's the choicest thing. It's set aside for a different offer.
0: It's 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 the choicest thing and it's set apart to to the Lord. Why? All the fat is the Lord's. All the fat is the Lord's. Why is that important? I'm sorry? The fat is the most desired part, it's the choicest part. When you're at a meal, especially in this culture, when you're at a meal and you serve somebody, the choicest part of the meal, what are you doing? Honoring. You're honoring them. And so the fat of the meal is reserved to honor the Lord and to take away from that is to dishonor Him, right? That's what's, that's what's in view here. Um, the fat is the choicest portion and is assigned to God as His peculiar share. This is His portion at the table. It was a sign of honoring God with the best part and to take it from Him would be to, to dishonor Him. So much so that it is forbidden, 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 forbidden to use it in any other way. It must be burned on the altar. Um, what can you do with an animal that could have been sacrificed? It was one of the approved animals that could be sacrificed. But it dies of natural causes... Or of a violent death, gets hit by a cart, Uh, something happens to the animal that could have been sacrificed, but it's still good meat. You know, I mean, what 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 does it say to do with that fat of that animal? Can you eat it then? Call the game warden. warden. You can use it,
1: but you can't
0: eat it. You can use it, but you can't eat it. But it's not in the temple. It's not in the tabernacle. It's It's still reserved. Why is that? Why would, that seems kind of silly. I mean, I understand the the stuff we actually take, we intend to sacrifice. But this is just a you know, natural or happenstance slaughtering. Why can't we use the fat there? It's, sacred still. it's still sacred. What does that tell you about God? He's not just here on Sundays. He's not just here on Sundays. No, you can't eat it. Emphatically, no. The language there is very emphatic. Um, it, 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 you can use it for like lamp oil and other things. We, we we kind of see that you can use it for any other thing. Uh, but animals not uh, you know that, that are that are slaughtered that way or, or killed that way. The takeaway here is that if God declares something as belonging to Him, He wants it treated reverently, regardless of where it's located. It's not just how we act in the tabernacle; it's the whole land, the whole culture. This is His. This is honoring Him on Tuesday in the morning when we're going out to the field and we see one of our goats has been torn by an animal, but the back part's still pretty good. No, you don't eat that fat. doesn't mean you can't eat the animal. Maybe another issue we get to later, but that's not in view here. You can't eat the fat of that because that's reserved to the Lord. What happens to the person who who does? Cut Cut off from His people. Now, that's pretty serious. Sounds ba- that sounds like a bad thing. What is in view there? What is a cut off from his people? What are, what are they talking about?
1: Outside the camp.
0: Booted outside the camp. There's a disinheritance.
1: They're not allowed to participate.
0: They're not allowed to participate in, in the culture of, uh, of the tabernacle.
1: Separation from God.
0: There's a separation from God aspect of it. There's an extreme version of being cut off from your people.
1: Killed
0: cut off. It involves big rocks and a crowd. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily in view here. Certainly with murder and adultery and those kinds of things, that would be in view. I think here is more of disinheritance and put out. But the language is the same. So there's kind of ambiguity as to what would it, that would involve. Um, all right. Incidentally, if you find an animal that's wild, that's not a, uh, a sacrificial animal, that's been, you can eat that fat. You know, if you find a, a gazelle or something, that's anyway. Just, 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 in case you're curious about that, Did they never eat any fat. Well, they could eat a little bit. Um, all right. Just because the animal wasn't in the tabernacle didn't mean the people had a right to the fat of that animal. God's authority and command did not cease at the door of the tabernacle. Notice that it's even more emphatic, later on we'll see this, especially in Leviticus 17, it's even more emphatic with the blood of a sacrificial animal. You can't eat uh, rare um, you know, oxen or goat. Good luck with that. It's got to be properly handled, it's got to be properly drained. The sacrificial blood is the Lord's. Now, what's that about? Among what type of animals are they forbidden to eat the blood? Do you remember? Yeah, it's everything, right? That includes everything. So the fat is dealing with the sacrificial animals. That's the one that goes to the Lord. But the blood of everything, they can't eat right? What's up with that? What does the blood represent? The life of the animal. Why is that significant?
1: That life is not ours to claim or consume uh, as if we gave it.
0: Okay. Life is not ours to claim or consume as if we gave it. Who does give it? God gives it. He's the author of life. It belongs to Him. Especially the blood that's used in the sacrificial animal because what is that blood used for? Not only is it life... It's for atonement. And that's really sacred to God because He's giving of some of His creatures for the sake of man who's rebelled against Him to atone for them. That blood is mine. That life is mine. That's an expression of you are in control. You have uh, the authority and power over life and death. And you've uh, you've assigned it this purpose. I'm not going to tread on that. So you have this uh, this prohibition, really, throughout all their generations, throughout all the land, and we saw this idea that life is in the blood. Way back in Genesis nine, uh, we saw that kind of that kind of idea. Life is not to be consumed; it belongs to Yahweh. He is the author of life, and we've discussed before the New Testament idea pulled from that um, that that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, acceptable to the Lord, right? So as to give Christ our best and acknowledge that our lives belong to Him.
1: Do you think that still has any traction today? That command?
0: That was an issue in Acts, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. They sacrificed it and ate it uh, quite rare. Um, and, and they initially prohibited it. But as you read through Acts, toward the end of it, it's, well, in Romans, one eats meat sacrificed to idols, one does, his conscience not, not being you know, burdened by it, and so it becomes a matter of conscience, because in Christ all things are, are good. Um, so, what happens, what happens if uh, an Israelite eats blood? What's the what's the penalty? He should, be
1: cut off from
0: his people. he should he's going to be cut off from his people. Look at the language there. Twenty seven. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The language of that person is a legal pronouncement. There's no ambiguity on who bears the penalty and who bears the judgment for that violation. That person. And when I read that, uh, it reminded me of the, uh, the parable Jesus gave of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember how he ends it? The, the tax collector is pleading, Make that sacrifice apply to me, is what he's, is he's, he's pleading with God, beating his chest, this emotional gush thing. I want that to apply to me. And Jesus gives this great statement on justification by faith alone. He says. I tell you, uh, that man, or this man, some translations read, uh, went home justified rather than the other. The language is specific, a judicial rendition, and dismissive of the other guy rather than the other. And it's the same kind of idea here in the negative. In Jesus' parable, it's the positive, it's a positive pronouncement that man, this man. But you have that idea here in the, in the negative. Alright, let's look at verse 28. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring... The fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for, the, for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. Verse 37. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. All right. That ends the manual. But do you remember, what's the unique part of, of the peace offering. We discussed it already. The unique the unique part of it. doesn't happen in the other ones. What happens in relation to the worshiper, the offeror? It's a unique feature here. He
1: gets
0: to consume, gets to consume part of it, of his own offering. He gets to consume part of it. It's a meal. There's a lot of hands-on involvement here by the guy bringing the offering. Uh, he brings the offering. Um, the, the priest holds... The animal, the worshiper actually slits the throat and the priest collects the blood. He's involved in this very intimately. Um, he's also to bring, after it's kind of cut up, the, the, the breast of the animal. I'm assuming that's the rib. Uh, some ambiguity there, but I'm assuming that's what it is. And he does something with it. What did he do with it? The wave offering. The wave offering. Yeah. What's up with the wave offering? Did, did, did they do this? What, what's this? it starts at
1: one end of the temple and goes, it
0: goes the one end the temple and goes the other. And everybody does their peace offerings all together. <laughs> okay. We're going A to Z. Glory. <laughs> Glory. Um What's with the wave offering?
1: This is a gift. Okay. Is, this, is it a symbolic gesture of like lifting it up
0: to God? I think you're right. I think it's a ritual uh, declaration of this is God's. I dedicate this to him. And, and the smart guys tell us that it's the priests that are actually doing this. Uh, not the not the offer they take it and they and they either hold it up to God they do this kind of thing with it or they'll walk around with it held up kind of those are the two theories on what that actually looks like uh, I don't think you'll see either of those kinds of things happening on TBN when they do their wave <laughs> offerings just to let you know hold up your tie you know well, I don't know what, but um anyway so the, it's a it's a dedication to it's just shake your head. It's okay. Uh, it's, it's a dedication to the Lord of that portion of the animal. The, the, the breast is the wave offering. Um, there seems to be a, a ritual action that indicated that whatever was being waved uh, was being dedicated to the Lord. Um, and this portion uh, is a choice piece. The breast of the animal is a choice cut of meat. This is what the Lord uh, will give to Moses as we get to it in chapter 8. Uh, during the ordination ceremony of Aaron. God gives to, to Moses this breast piece of the, of the sacrifice. And so it's a cho- it's considered an honor, a choice piece. All right. And this portion is given to the priests and their families, not just the officiating priests. What else is given? The right thigh. The right thigh. Why the right thigh? Oh, why the thigh? You had to pick one? You got two options? The right is always the the more the
1: better
0: side. They're, it's favored. Yeah. It's it, it, culturally, it's a favored side of the body, the right thigh. Uh, we're not really sure what this means. Uh, what portion of the animal this is? It could be like the calf, or it could be the the actual thigh, or some kind. I don't know. They, they, there's they some put their hand under the right thigh. Of that, their forefathers? Well, they, they there was that issue. We talked about that in Genesis and we never want to talk about it again. Um, so you, you, have, uh, you have it being, uh, it's portrayed a, another choice piece of meat of the animal for the priest. And this goes to the officiating priest, the guy who actually is hands-on does the ceremony. So you've got the breast to, the, to all the priests and their families. You've got this right thigh as a contribution of the priest who's actually helping the worshiper make this peace offering. Um, Again, both valuable. And notice the order of operation here. The fat, number one, the fat and the choice portions are given to the Lord on the altar. Remember, that was the fat, the liver, and the kidneys because those are seen as to be the seat of the emotions, the heart of the matter, so to speak. And then the next procedure is after the stuff is given to the Lord that, that is His and only then, Uh, The officiating priest is to receive the right thigh as his contribution and they do the wave of the... the, So the priest stuff comes after God's stuff. Again, it's honoring God first. There's sort of an honor to the priest in giving him this contribution. Uh, But who's giving it to the priest? Is there any doubt who's giving it to the priest? Who owns the breast piece and the thigh? It's all all Lord's, right? Always a good answer in Sunday school. it's, it's the Lord's. And out of the Lord's portion, He gives it to His priest. These choice pieces of meat. It's an honor thing from God to the priest. And notice how He says it. It's like out of nowhere, He says, I have taken from the people and have given them to Aaron the priest and his sons. This donation to the priest is a divine appointment. This is not something that the, the priest is ginned up. This is something God has directed to happen. Not only uh, is it given to the priests by divine appointment, it's their portion given to them from their ordination onward. When they become priests, they're entitled to this because of what God has decreed and what God has declared uh, for them. It's a perpetual due throughout their generations. And look at verse 37. It begins the summary statement. Of the priestly manual for sacrifices. Where were these laws given? This is on Sinai. Where were the laws of the chapters 1 through 6 8 given? It's in chapter 1, verse 1. Where, where were they given? Not Sinai in the tent of meeting why in chronological order would you have Sinai second I mean didn't the tent happen after Sinai after Moses going up on the mountain what's going on there what do you think I don't know It's just the way it is. But they're two different places. He talks about what the priests are do, what they're given. He gives this law to him on Sinai, and then he gives the law to the people and the tent of meeting after the tent tabernacle is already constructed. But he puts that stuff first. It makes logical sense, if you think about it, that he would put what are the sacrifices, okay, this is the, you know, in order of reading the book... But he talks to Moses initially on the mountain about these portions of what's going on here. Don't eat the blood, don't eat the fat. Here are the portions, and then he gives the entire range of, of offerings in the tent of meeting. It's kind of uh, it's just kind of interesting. I don't know why. I mean, I I I didn't, none of the smart guys told me. So that's just a weird deal. So. There it is. But the point here, a significant point here, is that these sacrifices begin immediately. They did not wait until they were settled in Canaan, and this went on throughout the forty years of their wandering. We'll see when we get to Numbers. And I don't know to get to your question that you sent to me earlier this week. I don't know why uh, there, uh, how that worked, if they were traveling, how they did the daily burnt offering sacrifices. It may be that um, they stopped in the morning and then they stopped again at three in the afternoon to do that sacrifice but would they set up the whole tent and do it or I, I don't know I again smart guys are silent on that so and, and scripture doesn't tell us which is probably the more important issue so we, we just don't know but I think there, there had to be some procedure that they worked out because there's freedom to some extent on how to make it happen right um, we're talking about the burnt offering that's done daily we talked about that earlier how would you do it if you're traveling in the desert. Do you stop, set up a tent, do a thing, and then tear it down and keep going? Does God stop twice a day? Or Yeah? There was a fire that
1: was supposed to burn continually.
0: How does that work when they're traveling?
1: Did the basins have wheels?
0: They, they had poles.
1: poles. a
0: okay. fire. You draw the short stick on that job.
1: <laughs> There's the something desert. else that
0: well, that's true. I'd much rather do that than the ark. You're right. <laughs> very, very valid point. Um, okay. Antriglycerin, no. Did the, the offering on the
1: move?
0: Maybe. Maybe they did. I don't know. I, we're not. I, you don't really see that in the claymation videos that you see at the Gospel Coalition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh
1: my
0: God. <laughs> Let's remember why these laws were given. The Lord, as covenant king was giving covenant laws to his covenant people so that they could be faithful citizens of his covenant kingdom. This is all wrapped up and I will be your God and you will be my people. How does a holy God dwell? or How does an unholy people dwell with a holy God? And we see that in the priestly manual the teaching of a continual dependence that they had for the need of God's favor and grace because they're sinners in the midst of his presence. It's holy. And we see that they had to have a high regard for His holiness because they're sinners in the midst of the presence of a holy God. And then you see that the priority that they must put on ensuring the continual worship of Yahweh because He's worthy of worship, right? And they're sinners in the midst of the presence of a holy God. They, in all of this covenant, were called to fulfill the covenant mission of being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember in Exodus 19, He used that language talking about the people of Israel. Does that sound familiar? Are we not called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light? It's the same language that God used them is used of the church. By what means did he call us out of darkness into his marvelous light? How did he do it? What happened? A sacrifice. A sacrifice. And blood was spilled. Right? And it's holy blood. It's not magic blood, it's the you know one drop of that blood well it's not that it represents his life. It's who he is. Holy, blameless, undefiled, infinite worthy. It represents Him. It was by means of the atonement through His own shed blood that He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He didn't have to do it. And logically, it would have made sense for Him to wipe out all of us rebels, the entire rebel race. That would have been the logical thing to do by our reckoning. And yet, Christ has come both as our substitute, make it apply to me. He's come as our substitute and to satisfy the justice that our rebellion against God demands. We can't atone for ourselves. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, and not enough people like me to atone for myself. It's just not going to happen. But yet, in his perfection, Christ was eminently qualified to accomplish this great gift. Romans 5 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. I think sometimes we get in this mindset here that Christ coming to earth, dying the death that we should have died, living the life we should have lived, He in some way was doing something to kind of pull us away from angry Father. That God was angry, the Father was wrathful, and yet Christ has come, and, and per, to persuade God not to destroy us all, He comes as a humble servant to do this, to do what He did. Right? That's not biblical. There's no disunity among the persons of God. Um, Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians like this: In Christ, God, Father, Son, and Spirit was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God's whole focus with Christ is a message for us to take to a dying and depraved world, be reconciled to God through Christ. That's the whole point. That's the, that's the focus of the blood to create worshipers. To great people to come to the peace offering, that is Christ. That's the point of the blood. And this brings us uh, to something that, that really impressed upon me this week as I dwelled on this passage. Those portions that were given to the priests were were, were God's portions. They were his that, that's his stuff that he's giving to these priests. The the choice breast piece that was waved and the thigh piece that was consecrated. That's his stuff that he's giving. These choice honoring pieces to these priests. The people gave them as a consecration to God, but in his kindness, he gave to his priests those choice pieces of meat to feed them. How much more has he given his kingdom of priests in the church under the new covenant, an even greater portion. Ephesians 1 tells us that He gave us Christ as head over all things. He gave Him as head to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And it just hit me. Do we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with the goodness and kindness of of God and His provision for His people and His provision for you? Do, do you ever just stop and just get overwhelmed by that? Just allow your heart... And I do think it's an allowing. It's there. We push back with problems. We push back with concerns. And I'm still not here on this issue. I'm still not this. And God, why can't I do this? That's a pushback to the natural, what's going on around us, overwhelming grace and kindness of God to His people in Christ. Do do we ever just stop and be overwhelmed by the choicest portion? The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, the psalmist says in Psalm 16. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The meat's nice, God's infinitely better. Titus 3 But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And Romans 5.5 5 tells us and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What an amazing, amazing thing. Think about your last week. Think about how faithful or not you've been in the covenant kingdom. And think about the portion that He's given you in Jesus to cover what you did just this week. I'm 43 years old. That's a lot of cream What an amazing thing. Grace we have in Christ. His portion to us is overwhelming. There's a traditional story about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians uh, where it said that when the troops had broken into the city of Jerusalem, the people fled some one way and some another, but the priests went on with their sacrifices and holy rites of the temple as if they heard nothing. They kept doing these procedures. They kept doing these rites. They kept sacrificing, doing the wave off, doing all this stuff while the city's burning around them. They're faithful to their duties and their calling as priests. There are wars. There are rumors of wars. There's famine, there's sickness, there's disease. In the midst of all of it, we're called as a kingdom of priests to our God to be faithful. Regardless of the chaos that goes around, we're called to be faithful. And in that, he's giving us that great portion of himself. Whatever need there is outside, he's enough. He's more than enough. We talked last week about thankfulness, heart of thankfulness. I think it starts right here. Who is he? What has he done? Let me be thankful. Let me praise. Let me be overwhelmed by the goodness and kindness. And mercy of God. We have one duty to faithfully live as those captured by the love of Christ and consumed with the hope of his return. The hymn writer wrote that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to kill sin? Be overwhelmed with his goodness. You want to feel repentance and have right emotional response to your remaining corruption? It is his kindness that is meant to bring us to repentance. How has he been kind to you? Let your heart be overwhelmed with that. It's so easy to well on the things that I think I'm giving up to follow Christ. Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's a very British word there, but has some more meaty meaning than just rubbish. I think my translation says dung. Dung, yeah, well, there is, there is, that, uh, there is that as well. In order, why? That I might gain Christ's portion and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He provided for His priests not only the atoning blood, but also the choicest pieces of the sacrifice. He has given us the best Himself. And in the cup, we remember His atonement for us. This is the thing I think is amazing about communion. Yet another facet of it that just kind of hit me this week. In the cup, we're given atonement, justified. In the bread, it's His body, but it's also a sanctification. It's a picture of the sanctification offering in the Old Testament. He is our atonement at that point. He is our cleansing and our sanctification, an ongoing work in Christ. It's a picture of that, and it's through Him that we have it. In the cup we remember His atonement for us. In the bread we remember His ongoing work to sanctify us, to make us holy. It's our perpetual due. Jesus. From God Himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let your heart be overwhelmed with His goodness and grace. Any comments, any questions? All right, I'll unless you're slow. Yes. Um, go ahead. So well no no I mean that. Um mm.
1: the things in the world of rest of them. That's like one of my favorite lines him. But um I was just thinking about how like you have to be filled um with the goodness of God and finding joy in him. Uh if you're filling your heart with the worldly things, like the Things you're trying to find your way in from the world, and those might might work temporarily, but they won't fill the eternal soul. Um, you know, only only the eternal God can fill that hole. Um, so, like before, you even you can't have power to do that before you empty yourself of those worldly things, mm-hmm. and then Christ comes in, and then you feel the power. Like you. you um, I guess purity becomes uh, purity precedes power. Mm. So you have to empty yourself first before Christ can come in, and then you have the power to uh, find joy in Him. Yeah. So you might not initially find that joy and feel it um, until you empty and then, like, feel yourself with Him.
0: Had one of the had had probably the best elder meeting I've had for almost three years last Monday night. Do with that what you will. Um, we spent time, like an, a couple of hours or more, just thinking through what is discipleship? What does that mean? It sounds like a simple question. It's not. We started parsing it out and different people had different views on what you should focus on. And there's five of us and so there's seven views. And so <laughs> you, you have this discussion going on what does that mean how do we help our people there what are we what are we doing there to to uh to facilitate true discipleship and you know my initial thought was paul's gush i'm in anguish of heart that as in childbirth that christ be formed in you and i'm like let's get there we got to you know form christ and how do we what does that mean forming christ i'm like well okay so we have this thing philip brings up you want to be my disciple, Jesus says? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The stages of discipleship are emptying, self-denial. Take up your cross does not mean you got to die. It means you have to submit. This is what the state is telling me that I am having to do, even to the point of death, I submit to that, it's on my back. It's take up the cross. You submit to the will of God there. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and pursue Christ. It's a 180. It's a things of earth going dim because I'm denying myself what I want, submitting to Him with what He wants, and seeing that He's better and pursuing Him. And so what that means practically in the context of a church community, I think, or in the church of one disciple to another is, is case specific. There are things that I need to deny that you don't have to worry about. There are things I need to submit to that you don't have a problem with. There's a pursuit of Jesus with me that's very important that it may not be where you need to pursue Jesus yet. Does that make sense? So it's very... But that's the That's the track. When I come to a passage, what is it calling on me to deny? How is he calling on me to submit? I'm going to read you our one to ones. How is it calling on me to submit? And and how is it showing me to pursue Jesus? If you want to be his disciple, what am I doing? What am I clinging to? That is the things of earth, the temporary stuff. How should I submit to what God, the King, the covenant King, has commanded? And how does that help me pursue Jesus?
1: in the Bible it says to cluster during art to basically shell you God so like, get that crap out of your life and then you should see God. pure like purify yourself and then you should see God But I can't do it.
0: I can't purify myself. This is something situationally here. I need Jesus. And it gets me to the pursuit of him means of grace is a submission thing you're right it gets me to the pursuit of him uh, ultimately which is the, the peace offering he <laughs> comes back I'll try to wrap it around it's the peace offering in Jesus alright sorry for that little rant um, Any anything else? ok I'm going to pray Father, we have such um, jaded hearts, many times self-centered hearts. Forgive us of not seeing you as the better portion. Would you, by your Spirit, incline our hearts to love your law? Incline our hearts to love Jesus more than our problem, than our struggle, than our fears, Would you help us to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by your goodness, your kindness, your mercy for us in Jesus? We thank you that our lines have fallen in pleasant places. And we have him and need nothing else. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.